This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. It is a Saturday morning. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM KQAM. Hey, great to have you for the morning, trying to get you up and moving for the day. I know it's hard. It's a little bit cooler. It's overcast. It's like fall time, and I kind of like it. I love the rain, and the storms are on the way, I guess. It is storm season. Not saying this weekend or anything. We may get a little bit, but nonetheless, get you energized, ready to go. Welcome in. Great to have you along for the ride today. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we would love to hear from you, and we have a heck of a show lined up for you this morning. Coming up in hour number two, State Representative Stephen Owens from District Number 74. We talk a lot of stuff with him. It's a long interview, and we're going to cram that all in next hour as we talk about the uh, Second Amendment bills that went through the state legislature this last uh, couple weeks and uh, how we got a super majority vote on those from both chambers so that way we can actually lower the concealed carry age to the age of 18. We can do state reciprocity and that sort of thing. So it's big news coming out of Topeka with the gun rights. Also, we talk about the utility thing, the natural gas that everybody may be concerned about, about a $1,200 utility bill for your natural gas. That's not going to happen, and he explains why, as uh, they worked really hard to make sure that we didn't have to foot that kind of bill. So that's big stuff coming up in hour number two, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue for all your buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Phil's Coins, they open up in about a half hour from now until 2.30 this afternoon, also online at philscoins.com. But for now, in hour number one, we're excited to have this guy back in studio for his official intro. We built this city! And it's the man himself, Wichita City Council Member Brian Fry. How good are you, morning. Sir? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on, as always. Always. It's good to get you. It's We try to do this at least once a month or every other month just to get an update yep. from the city. And I know it's a it's an exciting day. You've been really busy the last couple days. Yep. So before we get into some city issues, talk about what you've been up to. You know, this type of uh, weather's really got me excited because the grass is turning green. I got the fertilizer down, you know, and... <laughs> The rain is certainly helping, so got a lot of honeydew projects around the home, um, trying to get ready for a, just what we look forward to is the spring and summertime. So yeah, the first time in ever we you know we have our our place now, and Mrs. Voice of Reason, she's actually planting a garden mm-hmm. and actually planting some uh, not just flowers, but actually a garden with we're doing. I mean, we're doing everything. We're doing blueberry bushes. We're doing raspberry bushes. We're doing watermelon. We're doing cantaloupe. We're doing peppers. Wow. We are doing so much stuff. Like, I don't even know where we're going to put it. Our entire backyard <laughs> is going to be nothing but like a serene garden, I I'm guess. I'm looking so. forward to that bounty. Holy um, cow. Yeah, it's going to be know, fun. We don't have to buy anything all summer long. My wife always does tomato plants, but she can never get more than five tomatoes. It's, I mean, it's like. You got all these plants, and that's all you can get. But yeah, I don't eat tomatoes, so it's okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I don't eat tomatoes either. Here's the problem: is she's never grown anything, and she's very nervous. Like we yeah. kill house plants because I don't know why. So, but we're gonna try it, and we're gonna give it a shot and see oh, what we can awesome. do. So, yeah, that's, oh, that's very cool. I can make my homemade salsa with everything from the backyard. There you go. I, I don't have a green thumb when it comes to that. So, yeah, uh, plastic plants are nice. There you go. Cactus, <laughs> cactus. That's right. <laughs> Let it go. That's right. Uh, this weekend, uh, today. You actually got a lot of festivities as well, don't you? Yeah, um, I took part in a challenge with the Alzheimer's Association where if they uh, were able to secure 100 teams for their memory walk later this year, 
um, several of us in the community said we'd take a pie to the face. Ooh. Um, in honor of National Pie Day. Yeah, today, so, for those that don't know, today is Pie Day 3.14. Yeah. Is today the 14th? It is. To, no, tomorrow. No, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow is, yeah. Tomorrow's the 14th. Tomorrow's. Okay, yeah. Um, but So I've agreed to do that. They've got 100 teams, and so I'll be taking a pie later, in, uh, and I'll be putting that on Facebook and sharing that video. We'll be sharing and, that as well. Yeah, and there's several others that are doing it. So really proud of them for getting that. It's a, it's a big deal, the memory walk. Um, you know, I've had some family members that have, dealt with alzheimer's so it's important for me to do this and do my little part so how fun um and you know just uh basketball march madness gonna watch a lot of basketball it's these here. next couple of days yeah obviously and then st patrick's day you know there might be a pub crawl in my future so we'll see greatest day <laughs> of the year i'm telling you it's the greatest holiday we're getting prepared now i've done i've failed in my duties uh, this year because I have not done my usual playing Irish music for like the three months leading up to St. Patrick's Day. So we got to compensate a little bit and we'll play some of that on the program today. But I am really excited. I wore my green today in festivities yeah. of that. And as St. Patrick's Day is yeah. next week, then, uh, yeah, it's it's a I can't believe it's here. It's yeah, I know. By. I always take part in the Blarney breakfast for rainbows. And uh, <laughs> this year they're not doing it traditionally. They're doing a drive through. Um, so that'll be on the 17th mm-hmm. on St. Patrick's Day. And uh, my little brother, he's born on St. Patrick's Day, so I'll be shouting wow. out to him. Yeah, Very he's nice. six foot five, red hair and freckles. Uh, the, B- perfect leprechaun. Leprechaun. <laughs> that, the perfect leprechaun. That's right. Now, just for everybody that doesn't know, the the parade this year has been canceled right. because of COVID, right. and this really reflects the one year of COVID. Does it does. I mean it's about the time where we started canceling schools? I mean, we went on to spring break last year, and we just didn't come back since then. So it's been yep. about one year since then. We started shutting things down. Uh, I, I mentioned it for those that follow me on Facebook. It's the one year that I've gotten back into town. Yeah, so this is kind of a momentous month and a momentous really week. Absolutely. It was a year ago this week that city council went to D.C. and we do our federal lobbying efforts there. And the day we left, they shut down D.C., uh, wow. quarantined. And, and uh, so it's, yes, it's been a year. It's hard to believe. It's been a very difficult year in a lot of respects. I think it's also been a year where we've learned a lot about ourselves as a community and our grit and our resiliency. Um, you know, a lot of cities kind of folded, and mm-hmm. we didn't. And uh, we've actually prospered a little bit. Um, we ended. We just got our financial report for the year 2020, and we ended with a little bit of a surplus of all things. Wow. Um, now we did some strong belt tightening. Sure. And made sure that we were in a good position, that we weren't going to be deficit spending. Um, sales tax revenue was up. More people were doing projects at home. And, and bought toilet paper. And bought toilet paper in bulk, right? <laughs> in bulk. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, the year ended pretty well. And, again, I think we're coming out of it now with some, you know, on a fast track to get things back to where it needed to be. And some climbing out of this, I think, is very important. Um, there's a lot of positive news happening. And uh, we just need to, you know, focus and keep pushing forward. But, Again, proud of the way our community responded to it, and it just shows how much grit that we do have. Yeah. Have you heard from small businesses within your district or with just in with this, within the city as a whole more optimistic about going into the spring season, trying to reopen things up again, getting back to normal, allowing people back yep. into their, their stores again? I mean, is, are we moving in the right track here? Absolutely, absolutely. And, again, everyone's really focused on that. Um, Councilmember Johnson, Vice Mayor Johnson, and I started a pandemic recovery task force. And we've been meeting with some area business leaders and some of our economic development folks. And, yes, everyone is very focused on 
doing what's necessary to keep things moving forward and what's the next step coming out of the 737 MAX crisis, there's tremendous opportunity. We're seeing job announcements. People are realizing that you don't have to live on the coast. Right. You can live here in the central part of the country. It's a great place to be. It's quality of life is fantastic. There's some very talented folks here that have got the ability to do great things. We've got some cybersecurity companies, and that's because of the intelligence wing out of McConnell. And they've got some great folks out there, and there's opportunity to get those folks into a second job or a side hustle uh, doing cybersecurity. We've got uh, distribution warehouse facilities that are being built because, again, we're centrally located. Um, it's a great way to get product to either coast from the center of the country. Sure. So there's fantastic opportunity. We're seeing it. And, and it's just not aerospace. So Yeah, it's been tough, as you mentioned, for a lot of the industries. But at the same time, it's also kind of forced individuals to adapt and kind of evolve a little bit with their business dealings or with maybe some of the industry mm-hmm. in the community, which is a good thing. And I think a lot of, like you mentioned, the tech industry, online stuff, uh, working from home stuff, all of that has kind of evolved and really centralized. And Wichita is a good place for that because, yeah. like you mentioned, being center of the country, we have a lot of opportunity. And with more uh, tech industries coming here it's kind of allowed us to diversify a little bit, hasn't it? Right, exactly. And I think they've also discovered that um, nothing like good, strong Kansas work ethic. And yeah. that's a different mentality that you'll have from the coast. And, um, <clears throat> you know, you put your nose down, you do the work, you roll up your sleeves, and you get it done. Right. And so you're seeing these companies realize what we have here from the quality of our workers to the work ethic to the quality of life all and lower cost of living. Yeah. Right. Um, you can get a lot more with your dollar here and it goes a lot further. So all those things make it very attractive. And we do produce fantastic workers yeah. and, and very strong skill set, intelligence. And so um, everything's coming together really well for us to really climb out of this and and be very successful. Yeah. You mentioned the aviation industry briefly. Talk about some of that right now. And where are we? Uh, with some of those jobs. I know that we had a lot of layoffs with the Boeing 737. Right. That's coming back now. So is that yep. going to increase some jobs right now as well? Uh, flight back up a little bit. They talked about the airport actually seeing an increase this weekend because of uh, spring break. So I think things starting to get back to normal there. But for the workers in the community, right. are we doing okay? I think you're starting to see some orders uh, come out through uh, resurface. Uh, Southwest just placed a big order for 737, the short body, Max. Um, and you're going to start to see that increase. I think there's also other opportunity that Spirit is exploring beyond just uh, Boeing. Um, you're starting to see Textron, Bell Helicopter moved to division here. Um, there's uh, interest, great interest in securing the replacement for the Blackhawk, the Apache, right. uh, through a couple of new projects. So defense spinning in this uh, aerospace industry is big. NIAR, what they're doing out there is amazing, uh, along with some NASA work. So it's beyond just the traditional aircraft. It's some other sectors of it, and so which is good. Again, what we do really well is advanced manufacturing, right. but how can we diversify that into some other things like helicopters, like NASA, like so on? And I think that's where you're going to see the Maybe growth. UFOs? <laughs> well, again, uh, drones and <laughs> autonomous uh, vehicles like that. Sure. I think you're going to continue to see that, and, and that's the opportunity. I think that's where we'll see the 
greatest opportunity and the greatest growth. Well, I love the fact that we have some of the engineers working on things for NASA here because, I, we, I mean, obviously that story last week about people potentially seeing a UFO and everybody was losing their minds over it, come to find out it was a it was a plane, but it was carrying cargo to NASA from stuff that was coming to and from here, I guess. Really? Uh, Didn't so, see that one. Yeah, it was, it was uh, the news said something about how it was a plane that was carry, it carries cargo uh, for NASA products. Okay. So I was assuming that maybe some of the engineering stuff that we do with the aviation industry here was working on some things for NASA, which I did not know we did, which yeah. makes me very happy. Like, that's really cool. We should uh, we should be proud of yeah, that. Yeah, Senator Moran has been very instrumental in helping us secure some of that NASA work out at NIAR. Yeah. So, uh, again, opens up a whole other avenue. So Yeah. Um, well, I mean, especially with all the UFO stories that are coming out, <laughs> we need to be on the uh, front line here in Wichita right. or something like that, that's for sure. Right. I love it. Uh, let's talk about vaccines for a minute. And I know that the city was working on, and we did it with the public library, opening it up right. to uh, the vaccinations. How was that transition going? And is it going pretty smooth with it the has. Di- distribution? It's, it has. It's worked very well. Um, you know, that was a, originally the, the county was using Interest Bank Arena because um, that's their facility. Mm-hmm. And there was no events happening. But then as the hockey season started back up, they needed a place to be able to do it. Um, they wanted to go central. Now, we have a drive through facility at our transit mm-hmm. that people can use. Um, and that's really more for those that have a difficult time getting out and walking and so forth. Sure. Um, but they needed to be able to s- serve more individuals. And so the idea was to use the old public library, which has been vacant. Right. Um, had a little bit of work to do just to keep it ADA and get it open back up. Um, but it's been fantastic. They've been cycling people through there uh, quite regularly. It's It's been working out very well. They just opened a secondary location out west at uh, Maple and Ridge in my district Okay. Uh, at a church. And so, uh, again, the multiple locations has certainly helped get more people vaccinated. Um, more vaccines available is helping, obviously. Um, I think there's lowered it now to 65 um, is the minimum age. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, our per- positive percent rate is below three percent. Um, things are going very well with that. So. I love it. I lo- we're getting there. We're getting there. And I know we're going to hopefully start lowering the phasing on where we can actually get vaccinated for uh, more of the general public and see who actually wants it and how we're going to go with there as well. Yeah. So, yeah, very cool. Let's take a break. When we come back, there's a lot I want to get to this hour as we talk about the utility rates here for the city, as we talk about uh, the budget moving forward and projects with reopening of the city of Wichita and South Central Kansas moving forward as well. If you have any phone calls, we'd love to hear from you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. It's Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. So we haven't done it in a while, so it is time. We're going to start rocking out the St. Patrick's Day music. Why? Because it's the last program before the great celebration. We may do it again next weekend as well for those late bloomers and, you know, delayed celebrators. But what the heck? Welcome into the program. It's Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 102.5 FM KQAM. Here on a Saturday morning, City Council Member Brian Fry hanging out with us here. Coming up in hour number two, we do have Stephen Owens, District Number Four State Representative, uh, talking about the utility issue. If you've seen your natural gas bill potentially go up, and the natural gas that we did have kind of go out during that extreme cold front, which I have to, I still got 
a lot of flack for this, but I did not wear a coat that entire like negative 25 degree time. I, I don't. Just, I don't no. either. I'm just not a big fan of coats. Yeah, I'll wear a suit see? jacket, and that's all I need. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah that's exact. But then also don't go outside. <laughs> well, there is that too. It's pretty easy. There is that too. Uh, I know a lot of cities. There were some cities that were on the news talking about like a ten million dollar utility bill that they were concerned about, and uh, businesses even had to shut down because of a two million dollar yeah. natural gas bill right. that they were concerned about. Uh, the city of Wichita. How how did we fare? I know that that's not going to be the case, and we'll talk about that coming up in that interview next hour. But the city, how did you guys manage through that whole crisis? So, the one thing that was positive about that is, you know, you could see the, the forecast coming and we could ask and uh, understand what is critical service that we need to keep operating and what can we shut down and not have to have a utility uh, spike. Right. Right. So we shut down all the non-essential services during that uh, critical cold spell or whatever you want to call it uh, and just tried not to have big utility uh, spikes. Right. Um, I've not seen a final bill on it yet, to be honest, um, hopefully, but I, I don't think it's one of those things that, um, is of great concern to the city manager. Again, I think because we were able to plan for it a little bit better and not have to really. Sorry, you guys just, planned appropriately. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. I'm stuttering all of a sudden. Yeah. I can't figure out my words. Yeah. Well, you, you <laughs> planned appropriately, which is nice. And I mean that some obviously couldn't. And now what's the, do you know the ratio in the city between electricity, natural gas? I mean, what do we use? How do we, you know, no, break, kind don't. of break that down? I'm sorry. I don't. That's all right. That's, that's interesting. Uh, but speaking of utilities, I know you guys have been working on the water treatment plant. Is that still moving forward? Yes. In fact, it's actually a year uh, of com- construction completed so far. We just passed Very that good. milestone. You know, you drive by and you see the two large cranes there across from the zoo, and everybody's still wondering what that is. Well, right. That's the water treatment plant. Uh, so a year is under construction. Uh, we still have about another three years to go, uh, but it's coming out of the ground, and everything is on schedule. Um, we've actually started the design phase for the next large project, which is the wastewater treatment down south, mm-hmm. um, and that's plant number two, and about 70% of wastewater goes through plant number two in the city and so that's a critical one that needs to get fixed and it's about a 400 million dollar project but we just started the early design work on it and we'll be applying through federal funding uh on that one as well just like we did with the water treatment plant sure so uh two large capital projects currently underway um both the water utility and it's one of those things that we're trying to keep rates as low as possible we have some of the lowest water rates in the country, um, and but it's still going to cost a little bit more in your pocketbook to account for this. The national average is about a 6% water rate utility increase. Mm-hmm. We're at um, 4.5%. So, and again, bad. as we continue to design this, we continue to find ways to value-added engineering and save dollars and lower that cost. So it could end up being less over time. So. That would be nice. Yeah. That would be nice. Some of the other construction in the area, I know we got an update from the highway project on the eastern part of the city uh, on Kellogg, but any other big projects in about, we got about a minute before we got to take a bottom of the hour break, but any other big projects that you guys so are So the North Junction on? continues. Yeah. That's the uh, spaghetti mess up at I-135, <laughs> 235, K96. Um, <clears throat> that is on the purple phase right now, which is the bridges over Broadway and... Um, that extension on the west side. Okay. And then the next phase, which we were awarded uh, $25 million from the feds, 
uh, is to create the northbound to westbound flyover. And that construction uh, just bid, and Don Linger got the award, and they will start construction in April on that. And that's about a three-year project, but that's a very important piece to get that much safer. Moving forward. Yes. Moving forward. I like that. City Council Member Brian Fry, we got more coming up. When we come back, we'll talk about an update from the District Number 3 City Council seat. What's going on there, plus some of the festivities we may get to look forward to coming up this year in the city after post-COVID. Thanks, Joe Biden. We'll talk about some of that and more coming up here on the show for Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM. It is a Saturday. Thanks for joining us this morning. Trying to get you up and moving for the day. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be a fun one. Let's get the celebration rocking. It's going to be a week. I love when St. Patty's Day is in the middle of the week because we get to have an entire celebration for two weekends in a row. That's a good point. You see? Little Paradise City. Let's go. Yeah, if it's on the weekend, (laughs) then you only got one weekend to celebrate it. But if it's in the middle of the week, you can start pregame before and wrap all the way up by the next weekend. I don't know if I could get away with that. It's a good try. <laughs> At least I can, you know, hope. I can dream. That's right. Well, you know, uh, we'll see how well that works out for everybody. Welcome in 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to call in, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. And by the way, they are officially open now until 2.30 this afternoon. Real quickly, there has been uh, obviously a vacant seat on the city council district number three. Right. Uh, after some of the changes, you guys have had some candidates come in. You did the interview process. You started the voting process. Now, we were supposed to get a candidate finalized on Wednesday. Actually, uh, a week ago last Tuesday. A week ago last Tuesday, yeah. yeah. So this is uh, attempt number three, I think, coming up now, right? Well, actually, How's this no, going? So, it's it, yes, it's a little bit of a mess. Um, <laughs> it's kind of unprecedented. So when... Councilmember James Clendenin resigned. Uh, the process is then uh, people interested in the seat have to raise their hand and get uh, 100 petitions signed. Okay. Uh, saying that they want the seat. We had uh, 12 people declare themselves as a candidate. Of those 12, nine were successful in their petition search. Okay. Their quest. So only nine got enough signatures to qualify. That's still a decent amount of yeah, candidates. exactly, right? So then those nine were interviewed by the district advisory board for District 3. And that advisory board scored the top candidates and recommended five for consideration by the city council. And so then the city council met with each one of those five individually um, and interviewed them. And then we had our first meeting a week ago Tuesday, a public meeting where we voted after Five successive stalemate votes. Jared Cirillo had three votes. Joseph Shepard had two. And Cindy Miles had one. And the other two candidates didn't get any. Sure. You have to have four votes to advance. So after five stalemates, we're deadlocked. So then it goes to the next public meeting. Well, we didn't have a meeting this week because um, of a conference, a virtual conference that several participated in. And so we canceled the regular meeting. Right. So now it moves to Tuesday and we will start the process over and have a public recorded vote on the candidates. And if it goes to five stalemate votes again, 
Then we go to the next council meeting <laughs> and repeat the process. So after 15 stalemate votes, it would then be decided by a coin flip. Really? Now, I hope we don't get that far. I mean, that really messes up the whole equilibrium of how we're supposed to be doing this stuff right, right. now. Um, we need representation from District 3. We need somebody in that seat because we're getting ready to start uh, the budget planning process for 22, the capital improvement process planning for 22, and it's important to have somebody in that seat. Now, it's an interim seat. This person will only fill it until January because there's a council election for District 3 this fall. Sure. And whoever wins that would then serve for the next four years. For the full term. So this is just an interim term. But it's still important during this budget well, stuff that we have to have someone there that represents. And we have really good candidates, and that's probably why it's been such a struggle because everyone is, you know, there's no clear cut. This is absolutely the person. There are five good candidates, and it makes it tough. Wow. I've never heard of a city council seat going to a coin flip before. It's kind of uh, interesting. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. This is a this happened because several years ago, similar thing happened where District 3, of all districts, had to decide <laughs> a replacement. And after five successive votes, the process was the city attorney decided it. Mm. And a lot of people were unhappy with that after the fact, so the process changed to this process we have now. I think we can all agree that this probably isn't the way we want to continue to do this. And right. we're going to have to tweak this. Uh, for future after this is all said and done. Are but, there ideas on how to kind of tweak that and make things better as a bird just hits the yeah, window? Yeah, we just had a bird fly right <laughs> into the window. Um, you know, there's some ideas. Um, one, it could go after five stalemate votes, go back to the highest scoring candidate from the DAB recommendation process, right? Because the DAB scored all of the candidates and they had a top score. So that's an idea. Um, you could do a weighted uh, vote. So who's your number one, who's your number two, and then do it that way, and whoever had the highest weight. Um, so there's some ideas. But we know it's got to get better than this. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating process to see how this goes. I mean, any idea on, you know, if there's going to be a change or any change of heart from one of the council members uh, going into the vote on Tuesday? You know, I've not really had a lot of discussion with the others because um, I don't want to be seen as, I mean, that's their decision. Right. And they've got to make the decision that they feel most comfortable with. Um, you know, and I've only been able to talk about why I made my choice. I voted for Jared Cirillo. Jared and I have known each other for a very long time. We used to work together uh, in television. Um, after I got elected, he continued to ask me about, you know, because this is something he said he was interested in and continued to learn. Um, he has served on the District 3 Advisory Board, um, Transit Board. And, and done some other community activities. And so uh, I think he's real, and he's lived in District 3 his entire life. So I think he's someone who really knows the district very well uh, because of his training and his background. He's someone who can look at an issue uh, fair and balanced and, and make a decision without being influenced one way or the other, um, looking at it with an open mind, right, and um, not have a preconceived notion. I think that's really good as a leader. You need to be able to look at both sides of an issue, impartial, um, and make the best decision for the district. And I think he's the one that can do that. Um, so I've pretty much been on record as why I'm voting for Jared. And anyone asks me, I'll tell them. But um, I've not really done lobbying on his behalf with the other council members. Sure, it's just kind of doing your thing. Make your decision based on the facts that you do.
So Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully we can get an answer by Tuesday. If not, then maybe I could be the official coin flipper. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Make something like that happen. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's talk about going into this springtime and i want to talk about some entertainment coming in because we can actually use our stadium that we built this year which yes. is going to be exciting uh with the opening up of the city but plus some of the budgetary stuff and uh, the covid bill as well that the city's going to get some as well but let's start off with the entertainment aspect of it we actually get to use the stadium we're excited about that i know baseball season's about ready to start uh is everything all ready to go the museum i mean we're we're set to go this year aren't we absolutely in fact there's a press conference on monday to announce the first event at riverfront stadium and I will tell you that it's uh, very exciting news. It's We know the first date for the wind surge. That's May 11th. Right. But there's going to be a couple of events that happen before that date. And so this press conference on Monday will be the announcement of the ver- very first event at Riverfront Stadium. And, and it's very exciting. I think uh, a lot of fans will be happy about it. It's an opportunity to get into the stadium and see it uh, in operation the way it was intended. And that'll be happening in April. Very so, good. And there's a couple of events in April. And so getting that uh, open and active is very important for the whole district, that development area, Delano. Sure. Um, you know, we're working on the multimodal parking garage that will be adjacent to the stadium. We cleared all the land and we're going to asphalt it temporarily while the design is being done. And then the construction will begin in next year. And so a lot of activity. There's development activity happening around the stadium right now between the EPC apartments and the home two suites that just opened. Uh, the baseball team has a development agreement that they have to start this year as well for 30,000 square foot of mixed-use development. Okay. So a lot of activity happening right there right now. But, again, baseball is very exciting to get that going. And, and we're going to see other events throughout the year. They've committed to 200 events from – festivals to concerts to i was gonna say we need uh, to bring some concerts yep, back yep and you know you're time. starting to see that century two concert hall has some bookings uh for this year very good some things happening so we're starting to see that open back up the convention center we had uh, the home show a couple of weeks ago uh, and there's been a gun show there's a bridal show coming up and so you're starting to see activity in the convention center again um, I'm feeling the mosh pit itch right now. It's been a little bit. There you it's go. It's been a little bit since um, I cracked my rib. You know, I'm a Wichita wagon master, and we've got plans for our chili cook-off. It's going to return this year in September. So, you know, you're starting to see a lot of activity, a lot of interest, and people getting ready to get out, and uh, whether it's at a, at a honky-tonk or a, a pub crawl or whatever it is, people right. are ready to get out and start mingling and being entertained again. Yeah, they've been and cooped up, I think, just a little bit too long. For absolutely. Sure. So um, it's exciting to see and hear and and uh, yeah, we can't get that going fast enough. Yeah. Real quickly on on that conversation, we've had kind of the back and forth and we've had both sides on the air talking about the issue of Century 2 and what's the future of Century 2 going to look like? Do we preserve it? Do we do we pan it off to a private management team? What do we do? I mean, what's the latest from the city council's perspective as they try to maybe put it on the ballot or discuss from the public side? But from the city council, where are we with this conversation? So a couple of things right now. We do have an RFP out on the street for managing Century 2 facility. And we had three firms submit proposals. We're currently evaluating them to see if any of those are one that we're going to proceed with. And that's to manage the day-to-day operation of the facility, the convention center and the performing arts. Like I said, we've been doing that on our own with staff, but going forward with COVID and working with national acts and so forth, it makes better sense to have someone who's working in that, understand what's happening in the industry, what's going to be needed to 
change due to COVID and so forth and how we do that. We're also continuing to commit to make sure the facilities stay uh, operational. So sure. we've got two and a half million dollars over the next 10 years to make sure the facilities stay working. No significant improvements, but just make sure it stays functional right. while we decide what to do next. So if you remember back in 2019, there was a lot of community dialogue about what to do with Century 2, the East Bank, that whole riverfront. And there was a master plan that a group was working on, a $1.5 billion um, plan. They never presented that to the council because COVID hit, mm -hmm. and they weren't able to continue to have that dialogue. And, and so they put that on hold. So we've had a year of nothing happening with that uh, and no events right. in the facilities. Um, during that time, the, the council did take action to say, before anything does happen with that facility, tear down, remodel, there will be a public vote on what that plan is going to be. Sure. We don't know what that plan is yet, but if there is a plan presented, we've agreed there's going to be a public vote on it. Sure. We're going to make sure that we hear from people. There was a group that put together a petition to save Century 2, and we did this in response to that. We said, we agree. There should definitely be a public vote. Okay. But nothing's going to happen until there's a plan. A plan for it, right. Right. And we don't know what the plan is yet because nobody's put anything together. So we're kind of at a stalemate. right now. Yeah, yeah. kind of limbo. We need to know what's going to happen with it. Um, we need to see some plans. Now, I understand there's a, a group that is working on reviving that plan, and hopefully next month they'll be bringing it, bringing it forward to us. Uh, Councilmember Johnson and I just authored a, a piece that hopefully is going to get published in the Eagle soon talking about uh, this whole thing sure. and where we're at, what do we need to do. Bottom line is we have to restart the conversation because nothing has changed. The facilities are still there. Just sitting there. Yeah, and there's still those challenges. We need a plan for the future. What is that going to look like? What's it, how's it going to be paid for? What's it going to cost? Where are things going to be, et cetera? Well, to me, that's the question. We had the, we had some of the Safe Century 2 individuals on last week talking about uh, the projects. And my, my big question is, when it was functional and we did have events before COVID, that sort of thing, was it paying its own or were we losing money as a city? Or, I mean, financially, yeah. where was the building? Yeah, we, were, we are subsidizing the facility okay. uh, to the tune of about $2.5 million a year. Um, and that's coming two and a half million dollars a right. year. Wow. All right. And that's coming out of money that we collect from transient guest tax um, through our hotels and visitor bureau, visitors bureau. So, you know, obviously this last year, not a lot of people were using hotels and a lot of people were traveling. Took a hit. Took a hit. And but going forward, we know that that situation has to change. And that's one of the reasons why we've decided to outsource the operation, the private management to help us operate it better so that we're not losing that big number every year. Sure. Well, I'm glad that we're restarting the conversation at least to see what's going to move forward and then go to that vote that many people actually want. Let's take a break here. Last segment for hour number one. When we come back, Brian Fry, city council member, we'll talk about some of the city budget issues. Plus, we'll talk about COVID-19 bailout bill that Joe Biden did sign in the city of Wichita and Sedgwick County, both receiving a decent amount of money coming from that bill. What's it going to go to and what are we doing with all that and more? We'll talk about that when we come back. Wrapping up hour number one of Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. is making me happy already just thinking about this welcome back into the show wrapping up hour number one of kansas talk right here on the big talker kqm we got a big hour number two so you're not going to want to go anywhere 
as we talk about a lot of really good stuff. Plus, I want to get your thoughts on some of that stuff as well. <laughs> Very specific, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Fry, city council member, hanging out here for one more segment with us. And uh, real quickly, let's talk about the budget. You mentioned we're going into the season where we start looking at the budget for the next year. At the yep. same time, uh, the city is receiving, uh, you said roughly $70 million from the COVID relief bill that was just signed by Joe Biden. Um, wow. Yeah, I don't have a final number, but I believe it's around $75, 78000000 million in this latest stimulus package. And what are all the... Uh, specifics, what can we use it on, what can't we use it on. I've been told it could be used for some revenue replacement, um, also public safety as it relates to COVID um, and, and how we end up spending that, how we end up using it. That's still a lot of debate and discussion. Um, if we can use it for public safety, then I think it's definitely something along the lines of uh, police substations, fire stations, uh, fire services, things that can, again, go back to public safety. Sure. Um, we've got a lot of money in our capital plan over the next 10 years for police and fire structures, super um, infrastructure, about $32 million. Well, take half that and put it apply to that. That allows us uh, capacity to either lower debt ceiling on our capital plans or uh, address other things like Century 2, uh, roads and bridges, uh, et cetera. Interesting. So uh, a lot of discussion to be had on that. Um, We'll see. Because of uh, the position of potentially getting some of that money, plus you mentioned that we did get to be net, uh, at least we got a little bit of a gain last year because of being able to tighten things up during COVID. How does the discussion look going into the budgetary discussion for this year? I, right. mean, I mean, at least that's a good position that we're in. We can pay some things off if we have to, to you know, do some of the projects that we need to. We can move forward in a positive light there. How does that fare when it comes to the discussion for looking at next year's budget? So one of the things that we did in 2020 because of COVID, we closed all of our rec centers. We closed libraries. Uh, the aquatics uh, program was shut down. So all that staffing has not returned. We just reopened libraries last week. Um, but the rec centers, we're starting to see some programming come back in. Um, the aquatics master plan is going to be finished uh, here in May. And so all those pools are going to be reopening, which means we need to hire lifeguards, et cetera. So some of that staffing is going to come back. We're still about 500 fewer employees from this time last year to today. How many of those bodies, positions need to come back? We've obviously operated leaner. Um, and how many of those positions are necessary coming back? Are there things that we're not doing anymore that we haven't missed? Right. That, you know, we can save those dollars. Um, that's going to be a discussion that we're going to continue to have. That's the argument that I keep making. Let's continue to operate government as lean as possible. Sure. And if we don't have to do that, let's not do it and save those dollars. Keeping government small. What a concept, <laughs> exactly, right? right? What a concept. I like it. Brian Fry, city council member for the city of Wichita. Always good to talk to you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. I know you're busy this uh, this weekend and uh, doing the fun St. Patrick's Day stuff. So happy St. Patrick's Absolutely. Day to you. And yep. uh, we'll talk to you again here soon. Thank you, Andy. Always a pleasure. Hour number two coming up right around the corner. We have State Representative Stephen Owens. We'll talk about Second Amendment bills in Topeka. We'll also talk about the utility bills and what you could expect there. Plus... Wrapping up the show in hour number two as well, Ryan Flickner with the Kansas Farm Bureau. We sat down with him a few days ago, and we'll chat with him about agriculture. We'll talk about the cold stint that happened and uh, taking a look at some of the futures, plus the insurance, well, not insurance, but health options that they've created a couple of years ago as well. So there's a lot to get to, and we'll talk about all that and more, plus your phone calls as we get into hour number two. It's Kansas Talk. It's the Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here.
This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. It is a Saturday morning. Welcome into hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 on the AM side, 102.5 on the FM side, KQAM. Thanks for joining us today. Trying to wake up, trying to get moving, trying to get you up and going for a Saturday and for the weekend. A little bit dreary outside. We should have some rain throughout the weekend. That's honestly okay. Not too terribly bad. It's still March time. We got to moisten that soil. You like that word? I did that on purpose for you. Thank you. Welcome in. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, it's open lines to you. I do have a lot to get to this hour, so we're going to try and cram as much of it as, as we possibly can. All presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for your gold and silver needs. They are open right now until 2.30 this afternoon. Make sure to go and check them out. Also on their website at philscoins.com. We love those guys. We'll check in with Phil Martinez from Phil's Coins in a couple of weeks again here on the program. But make sure and go and uh, check it out because why the heck not? Your emergency fund, your backup, your, you know, whatever in case something happens. Uh, not Nothing wrong with having gold and silver and you're safe at home just as an emergency. All right, we got a lot to get to this hour. Coming up, we'll play an interview here in just a minute with Stephen Owen, state representative from District Number 74. We talked a lot with uh, with him about the Second Amendment issues here in the state of Kansas and the utility rates and other things as well. Plus, we have Ryan Flickner with the Kansas Farm Bureau wrapping up the program in about a half hour that will uh, play an interview with as well. Plus, I want to get to a story as we talked with Brian Fry, city council member from the city of Wichita. We always love chatting with him on the program. There is a candidate for the city council in Topeka that's getting a lot of heat because he used to be a member of the Proud Boys. So we'll talk about that in a little bit and get your thoughts on it as well. But for right now, uh, it's a elongated interview, so I want to get as much time in to make sure that we get it all in as we possibly can. But Stephen Owen, state representative from District Number 74, we always love chatting with him. He is my state representative, so it's kind of nice talking to him not only as an interviewee but also as a constituent from him and talking about the Second Amendment issues, talking about the utility rates. Are you concerned about your natural gas bill for the next month after that cold stint that we saw in February, we talk about all that and more with Stephen Owens. Owens, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, and uh, and I'm going to claim the Heston area as my home. That's right. Uh, however, we still are in proximity to Newton. Uh, we do, and I'm so close to your district and uh, right there in Burton, so I get to live right in there as well. So now I get to talk with my state rep on what the heck's going on in Topeka, right? Oh, heck yeah, and that's, that's what I love. Love talking with the people, and some of them just happen to have a bigger audience than others. So hey. I look forward to our conversation today. Amen to that. Well, I know it's been busy for the last couple of weeks as you guys start to begin winding down uh, with legislation. But, of course, last week there was a really big week when it came to Second Amendment issues in the state of Kansas. And I know it's been a focus for many states across the nation. Missouri's trying to work on a sanctuary bill for the Second Amendment. Texas is working on one. Florida's working on one. Uh, because the federal level, we realize that that's their next agenda. And I, they've actually started pushing forward with some of the legislation at the federal level. So we've done what we can to preserve at the statewide level. And we had two bills that actually went through. Talk about kind of what happened over the last week or so. Yeah, sure. Well, first I want to clarify that, that Kansas is really ahead of the game. Yeah. Uh, back in 2013, we passed our sanctuary resolution. Uh, so we are, we are as protected as a state as we can be. So while you're hearing a lot of talk, of concern about what's going on uh, with the Biden administration and states trying to do what they can, 
Uh, people need to know that Kansas uh, is well ahead of the game, and we're we're in a really good good place there. But but what we did do this week specifically um, was we heard and ultimately passed out of the House House Bill 2058. Now, House Bill 2058 started out as a pretty straightforward reciprocity bill. I needed to clarify some things in our concealed carry license code to allow reciprocity with other states and, and broaden that opportunity when we're out traveling. But the great thing that really happened there uh, is I had the distinct pleasure of carrying an amendment on House Bill 2058 that actually creates a provisional concealed and carry license for the adults that are 18 to 20 years old in Kansas. Uh, I shared with my colleagues on the House floor uh, why this is so incredibly important. Uh, my 20-year-old daughter um, uh, was uh, uh, an individual attempted to abduct her in Wichita last October mm. uh, at a gas station, 11.30 at night when she was on her way home from work. And you talk about a terrifying experience for her, a uh, terrifying experience for her father that was, was 30 minutes away and, and couldn't do anything. Um, thank God she's fine. But that's what really sent this home, that she needs the ability to carry her firearm. She is an adult. There's no reason why she should not be able to conceal her firearm and carry it. Because uh, in Kansas, you can already open carry at those ages. Right. So, why, you know, why make it illegal when they put their jacket on? Uh, it makes absolutely no sense. So I'm really excited that I was able to carry that bill. That is a really big deal, and it's a scary thought that you even had to go through that and that your daughter had to go through something like that. But it's just common sense, isn't it? I mean, if we can open carry, why wouldn't we be able to conceal carry? Which I love the opposition argument of, well, they're just not mature enough to do so yet, which I don't know if they quite understand the fact that the 18-year-olds are already allowed to open carry in the state. I mean, did that come up during the discussion? Oh, oh, of course it did. And, and, and of course, anytime you have a gun bill on the House floor, uh, Democrats, uh, some of the Democrats, I uh, came with, you know, every bill you could imagine or amendment you can imagine from ending uh, constitutional carry to ending carrying in the Capitol to ending carrying on college campuses. I mean, you know, the, the, the failure to understand that good guys that carry guns and good gals that carry guns uh, want to go through the process, want to get licensed. They're not the ones committing crimes, right? Right. Um, and, and so the logic is really lost on people that, that when you're 18, look at the things that you get to do. You can get married. You can serve in the military and be sent to war. You know, there, there are so many things that we give people the right to do to vote, right? I mean, there are Democrats that advocate you should be able to vote at 16, which is probably one of the most important <laughs> rights that we have. So you're an adult at 18. That's, that's what law has said. So there's absolutely no reason you should not be able to protect yourself at 18 as well. Well, absolutely. And I mean, you you hit it right on. It's funny how they've tried to delay adolescence or they tried to delay adulthood and, and continue adolescence as we go on to where you can't get insurance until you're 26. You know, you uh, you can't smoke cig cigarettes now until the age of 21. You can't drink until you're the age of 21. But you can't own a gun as well because you're just not mature enough yet. Your brain's still developing. You're not ready, but you can vote, and you're considered an adult, and you can get married. You can join the military, so you can do certain things. See, but it frustrates the hell out of me. I want it to be straight across the board. At what level, like the age of 18 or whatever we set, you have now come to the rite of passage. You have now passed on to become an adult. Now you can do anything you want to do as an adult, but why we have so many different age levels or certain things just drives me nuts. It's all political posturing, right? At the end of the day, those those dates serve to fit somebody's narrative, and that's why we've changed things. And it's in, 
it's incredibly frustrating to me that, that because I'm a firm believer, you're either 18, uh, you're either an adult at 18 or you're not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why don't we treat people that way? Why don't we give them those same rights? I mean, even the idea that while I don't condone, you know, smoking tobacco in any way, shape or form, it's not something I partake in, whatever. But but now the federal government raised that age level to 21. I mean, seriously, um, it just again, make, a lot of that just makes no sense. But I've got to add the caveat in here uh, on this amendment to lower the, the concealed carry age uh, to create that provisional license. We actually brought five Democrats along with us wow. that voted to support that which is remarkable. And these aren't your typical kind of rural, the, the few rural Democrats. These are, these are inner city, Wichita and Topeka Democrats that recognize sure. and want the ability for their friends and family um, to be able to carry firearms. So I, I thought it was really, really fantastic that those people um, stood up for their Second Amendment rights as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it does help, as you mentioned. I mean, it helps with the reciprocity from other states with people coming in, but then also with them accepting our reciprocity going into yeah. other states as well. So, I mean, this is really an interconnected statewide level protection of our gun rights across the nation that I think is really, really important right now. Yeah, in a perfect world, we'd have a nationwide reciprocity, right? The, the federal government would act on that and, and would just kind of open that up. Uh, however, uh, well, we know the likelihood of that is, well, negative right now. Uh, so we, we're we doing the best with what we've got. We've got our, our state laws that can regulate this. So let's make sure that we expand it. Uh, because, again, it's it's not the good guys that are causing trouble. Yep. Let's make it happen. Stephen Owen, State Representative, District Number 74. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the energy issues. There's a lot of concern about people's utility bills right now as we see cities that were like, oh, we had a $10 million natural gas bill or businesses that said we had a $2 million natural gas bill where you had to shut down uh, production for a while because we couldn't afford it. And they were anticipating that individuals could potentially see a utility bill of like fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars for their gas bill, which is absolutely insane because of the cold weather from a few weeks ago. What's the latest here, and is that something that realistically could happen to many people across the state? You know, when this cold front came in, uh, and and we're about a third of the way through it, I got a call from one of my city administrators in my district that says, uh, "Steve, are you, have you heard anything about what's happened with the natural gas prices?" And I was like, "No." Well, that launched me into being incredibly involved on a day-to-day -day basis going through this ridiculous cold snap. And we saw prices that went from $3 per MMBTU, or, or let's just say $3 a gallon, uh, up to $622 per wow. MMBTU. So imagine you have to fill up your gas tank to get back and forth to work. And one day it's $3 a gallon. The next day it's $7 a gallon. The next it's 42 the next is 350 and the next is seven or $622 a gallon for you to get gas. Wow. The fact is people can't afford that. And the cities recognize this very early because honestly, the cities can't afford it. And let me give you a little bit of perspective on that. Heston, February of 2020 had a, had a gas bill for their entire community of $120,000. Okay. That was their industry. That was for their, their wholesale cost of the gas they provided their consumers. Their bill for this February is anticipated to be 5.5 million. Wow. So one month, 120,000 to 5.5 million. Our cities can't afford it. Obviously, our citizens can't afford it. So the city leaders, state leaders, 
we all jumped into action, doing everything we could, seeking out every possible solution. Because municipalities, and there are five of them that are part of the KMGA consortium, Kansas Municipal Gas Association consortium, uh, that are in my district, you know, all they do is pass the costs on to the consumer, right? right. So if, 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 you know, there's $140,000 gas bill, they split it up by usage, and it gets paid. Well, imagine if they did that with $5.5 million bill. Imagine your gas bill going from 100 to 4000 or something <laughs> insane. People can't afford it, right? There's no way. So, no, there's absolutely no way. People would be bankrupt. Cities would go bankrupt. Uh, it, 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 it's a very scary situation that we were in. However, Andy, this is one time, uh, and there have been plenty of others, but this is one time where I'm proud to say that I was in state government. Because in the course of one day, last Thursday, one day, the bill was introduced at 8.30, and by 5 o'clock that night, it went through the entire process and was signed by the governor, creating a $100 million loan fund for cities to borrow from at 0.25% interest, so little or no interest, basically, to be able to spread that payment out over 10 years. Okay, so, so are people going to see those huge gas bills? More than likely not, because they will be spread out. Now, that's only part of the problem, right? right? As we know, we've got to get to the bottom of how did these prices get so high? Who is price gouging, if that exists? Who's fixing the cost? What's happened in the market so that if there was wrongdoing, we can absolutely go after those people and recoup that cost? I'm not sure it doesn't happen again. Long process. Yeah, absolutely. Things that are in process, investigations are ongoing. Uh, associations are investigating. I mean, it, it's going to be a very long process. But in the meantime, thank God, I believe we have a solution in place to where gas prices and utility prices are not going to bankrupt people. It's going to be really nice. So what we could potentially see is maybe a little bump in the in the payments just to try and cover those uh, those loans to be able to repay them back over time. So it's going to be just kind of a elongated thing. So it's not going to bankrupt us. We just may see our utility bill go up maybe 30, yeah. 40 bucks or something. And, and that's, that's more likely. What we'll see is we're going to see a little bump going forward um, until one of two things happen. One, it's all paid back, or B, or two, the, the investigation comes through. We find out that there was wrongdoing, and, and those people pay that back, and, and then we get made whole uh, in the end. So uh, it's just important for people to know that, that uh, even though the story's kind of quieted down and your gas price may not be as crazy as what predicted, that's because the work of our state government, work of our city governments, working their rear ends off to really protect um, the consumers of these products. Yeah, it's amazing. And it is great to see that everybody came together in the legislature to make that happen, including the governor, to actually just say, yeah. you know what, this is uh, this is something we can all agree on based on regardless of partisanship and actually, you know, help out people because that's ridiculous. Uh, what I don't understand is that I know that and talking about this prior to that really energy we buy in thirds over the year based on when the markets are doing well and trying to prepare for certain seasons. And so this year uh, in, and at this time, it was really only, only about a third of the natural gas that we buy throughout the year. So it's just wild to see the prices go up that dramatically for those few days. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's like I said, never been seen in history. Uh, some of these guys that have studied this stuff for years remember a big spike, I think back in 2014, there was some big Arctic blast and 
and the gas got up to the mid thirties, which was pretty insane. So to see it, to to see the market do what it did, that's what leads me to believe that there very well could be some price gouging or some market manipulation going on there uh, because they're, Somebody out there made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in the matter of a couple of days. And we need to make sure that that was within the law. I mean, I'm a free market guy. You know that. However, we also know that there are instances where government has to be involved because, because you know, for example, uh, you know, you look at utilities. You can only have so many, so many power lines or so many gas, gas lines underground. Yep. Uh, which which inhibits the true free market. So you end up with things that go on that we've got to be able to identify and fix and ensure that we're never back in this place again. Exactly. Exactly. We got a few minutes left here, but let's shift gears and talk about the economy. I know you guys always wait until right around the last part of the legislative session to talk about the state budget. And with last year with COVID, we saw, I'm sure, uh, you know, I think I heard like a 11, 12 billion dollar shortfall in the budget and then taxes that the governor has proposed on increasing some taxes, trying to keep and maintain some other ones. What's the latest in the tax discussion and what type of budget slash tax bills could we see come out of the legislature by the end this year? Yeah, sure. So great question. Um, so actually, the, the worst case scenario we were focused on was last April when our budget uh, revenue estimating group said we were going to face a, a $1.4 billion budget shortfall. Uh, now, it's important to keep that in context because our entire state general fund budget is about eight and a half billion dollars annually. Mm. So if you can imagine a 15 to you know 16 percent cut in every agency across the board at a minimum is what we were actually looking at last April. So some some significant uh, rollbacks were made in very short order. But what we have seen is the resilience of our Kansas economy and the resilience of our people. Uh, as you know, I firmly believe our economy never should have been shut down. I do not believe for one minute uh, any business should have ever been deemed essential over any other. Uh, and and that's a whole other conversation because we're working on fixes for that in adjusting the, the Kansas Emergency Management Act. But regardless of that, people have have been resilient. They've gotten back out. They've rebuilt. Uh, they have, they're, they're buying things. They're spending money. They're raising money. They're doing what is necessary. And we're seeing that, that budget shortfall decrease substantially. So in in November's estimates, um, we were now only projected to be about $150 million short versus $1.4 billion. And we've actually seen our revenues continue to increase, uh, even at a faster pace over the last two months to where we literally could be uh, back to to zero, to where we're not facing a revenue shortfall. Um, Now, what that does is, is that means that, look, we're, we're heading on the right track. There's a lot of work to do. There's still a ton of needs out there. Um, and, and there's not an agency out there that hasn't come and asked for, you know, more money as a general rule. That's just the way government works. But we have got to be frugal. We've got to focus on the budget and make sure that we're doing our part to ensure it's balanced, that we have reserve, we have the things we need. One of the, one of the big priorities that remains, uh, even over the last, two, three years, is ensuring that Kansas citizens and and businesses get to participate fully in President Trump's tax cuts. Believe it or not, in Kansas, um, we still have not passed the laws we need to pass, thanks to the governor's vetoes, to allow Kansans to to fully participate in the federal tax cut. So that's one of the bills that we're going to see this year. It passed the, uh, the Senate already, fully anticipated on the on the house side 
to, to allow things like decoupling. So if you itemize on your federal tax return, you don't have to itemize on your state tax return and vice versa. Little things like that. That's just that common allow sense. People. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. But it does have a fiscal note. And we realize that our current governor uh, has no intent to, to reduce the tax burden on our Kansas citizens. As a matter of fact, uh, she continues to propose taxes that will, that, you know, uh, legislation that will increase taxes, like the marketplace facilitators tax. We, we joked about it last year when we defeated it and called it the baby Yoda tax, um, where she wanted to add taxes to, uh, to all of the you know, online digital products that you, that you purchase. Sure. Uh, that's one of the bills that's kind of been floating around out there to, to create more revenue. Uh, obviously, she she made it very clear that she wants to uh, to pass medical marijuana <laughs> and put a significant tax burden on a medical marijuana bill. We'll see where that goes this year. I mean, there's so many different areas that that create additional tax burdens on the citizens. Well, it's that, not even uh, a tax burden like that marijuana bill, because I'm glad you brought that up. It, it's not even to try and get caught up or to pay off the bills or to balance the budget. It's to, hey, let's create a little bit of tax revenue so we can expand a massive government program like Medicaid. And then sure. it's just going to balance itself out. And to me, that's just it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know why the two groups like that would be in for something like that. But apparently they are. Well, the, the, no, I think the governor is. The governor <laughs> was the one that proposed. Uh, legalizing marijuana and using the tax to offset the cost of Medicaid expansion. Uh, regardless of the cost of Medicaid expansion, we know that, that that's just one of many reasons why we don't want that program to come into existence at the state of Kansas. Uh, but that's a conversation for another day. What we cannot allow is for a continued tax burden to be upon the citizens of Kansas. We need to look at the things we can do to grow our tax base, to get people to stay in Kansas, to build businesses in Kansas, to, to, to become new taxpayers. We need to look at expanding that versus increasing taxes on the people that are here, because that's just going to further drive people out of the state. And that's the last thing we need. Right. Or want. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. State Representative Stephen Owens, District Number 74. We're out of time, my friend, but it's uh, real quickly talk about the process for the last couple of weeks as you guys kind of work on finalizing a budget and tax processes. Uh, when could we see some final bills come out? Oh, so what we have now, we just passed turnaround this past week, and that's where every bill that's introduced in the House or introduced in the Senate has to make it through their chamber and either be passed or die and sent to the other chamber. So right now, really what the House is primarily working on are the Senate bills that passed that were sent over. Now we put them through the committee process. We are allowed to have hearings, and then we take a vote on them. And then ultimately decide whether those bills uh, end up on the governor's desk. So, so we've got about two and a half weeks, three weeks, to get that process entirely finished up, to put everything on the governor's desk we're going to put there. Uh, and then we take a break for three weeks while she decides whether she's going to sign them. Uh, or veto them, and then we come back in uh, in early May for the veto session and uh, hopefully override most of her decisions because, you know, after all, <laughs> we've got good, solid supermajorities in the House and in the Senate. Yeah, and I think that scares her a little bit as well. Stephen, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. You're a great friend, and I love being in your district as well. So keep up the fight, and we'll chat again here real soon. Always appreciate you, Andy. Thank you very much.
Now back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Darn right it is. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM KQAM here in Wichita, Kansas for a Saturday morning. Thanks for hanging out with us today. It's a fun one. And we get you set for the St. Patrick's Day celebration, the greatest holiday of the entire year. I do not care what anybody else says. And I've been failing on my part to prepare you for this, so we're kind of jumping into it a little bit late this year, but I'm getting the giddiness, getting the excitement back and ready to go. (laughs) And it's great to have you along for the ride today. All right, I want to shift gears real quickly, though, before we get to our next interview. I want to give you a little bit of a programming note for KQAM. If you listen throughout the week, which we appreciate and love very much uh, here on KQAM as the operations manager and program director for the uh, station, trying to uh, get things back up and going. And after a long discussion... And uh, with all the higher-ups and the powers at B, uh, doing some different changes on the station. And after the passing of Rush Limbaugh, uh, we definitely wanted to uh, make things as convenient and open for you as possible. I mean, that was we've been thinking about things for a long time, but that was kind of a kickoff of it. As you know, very traumatizing for a lot of people and very sad for the talk radio industry. But I am so excited about KQAM, as, of course, we have Brian Kilmeade uh, to, with John Wright in the morning, Brian Kilmeade live uh, from 8 to 11. In the middays, we are putting back uh, the Dana Show, Dana Lesh, as uh, she is live from 11 to 2, and we'll be broadcasting that entire live program for you uh, from 11 to 2 each and every day here on KQAM. So I'm excited for that program. Dave Ramsey, the Ramsey Show now, is going back live 2 to 4 in the afternoon which you can hear, so that way uh, we used to get a ton of calls, and we still do get uh, get a lot of calls on Dave Ramsey's show from KQAM in Wichita area. So that program will be back live from 2 to 4, and then yours truly, with the voice of reason, we will be doing the show live now at 4 p.m. right here on the KQAM Airwaves. We used to do, we were doing the show uh, in studio, recording it at 4 o'clock uh, for some of our other affiliates for the program, and then we would broadcast the show at 8 p.m. after Joe Peggs on KQAM. But for our flagship, it's it's awesome, and I appreciate it to be able to have the flagship carry the show live right here on the KQAM airwaves at 4 p.m. every afternoon. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to start. All this is going to start on Monday in two days from now uh, to kick off next week. So you get to enjoy that. Plus, we'll have Joe Peggs still live, 5 to 8. We are not touching Joe Peggs. I know everybody loves the man Joe Peggs. And then Armed American Radio, back at 8 o'clock again, where we were doing The Voice of Reason. So you can enjoy Armed American Radio, the great Mark Walters. He'll be back on there at 8 o'clock. And then Jimbo Hannon live from 9 to midnight. And Guy Benson, if you are a fan of Guy Benson, do not worry. He is uh, overnights now from midnight to 3 a.m. So a little bit of a programming change. All that starting on Monday for you to enjoy right here on the KQAM Airwaves. But you get to enjoy uh, Dana Lesh again, the Dana Show back middays 11 to 2. Dave Ramsey live again from 2 to 4. And then yours truly with the Voice of Reason in our national broadcast of the Voice of Reason at 4 p.m. going into Joe Pegg. So it's awesome. I love it. Make sure to stay tuned in for all those changes right here on KQAM. All right. I want to shift gears a little bit and play it. We sat down just a few days ago, almost a week ago now, I think, with Ryan Flickner, uh, the executive director with the Kansas Farm Bureau, talking about the agriculture industry with all the weather, with the springtime, with the extreme cold a couple weeks ago, and what that all means for the state of Kansas and many farmers in the area. And this is what he had to say. As a senior director for the Kansas Farm Bureau, we're excited to have back on the program Ryan Flickner with us. Ryan, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. It's great to be back with you. And it, yeah, as you said, it has been a, a day or two since we last chatted. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since we've had you on to talk about stuff. And I know you guys are extremely busy uh, in a good way, though, too, I think. 
I mean, we got more representation in Washington, D.C. with Senator Roger Marshall up there back on the Ag Committee. We have over on the western part of the Kansas, we have Tracy Mann, congressman now that's on the Ag Committee there. So I, it seems like Kansas is getting some good representation in Washington, D.C., aren't we? we? We certainly are. And, you know, we Kansas Farm Bureau, we have a PAC, so we uh, we made endorsements. And uh, if anybody's interested in, in those, I encourage you to go uh, go search for those. But, yes, at the federal level, all of the federal candidates the Kansas Farm Bureau did endorse were successful and, and now are, have been sworn into their office. So obviously you, you mentioned the Senate Ag Committee. We lost a real you know, champion when he chose not to, to seek re-election, the, the you know, most recent chairman of the Senate Ag Committee in, in Pat Roberts. Uh, yeah. But when he did announce a few years ago now that he would not seek re-election, we, well, our members very, very quickly uh, kind of got behind Dr. Roger Marshall as you know, moving on from the big first and, and kind of getting promoted as you know, Bob Dole has, as Pat Roberts, as Jerry Moran has. So, you know, as Pat Roberts said, there are certainly gold in those hills back in the, the big first district. Yeah, absolutely. And real quickly, talking about some of the federal stuff going on before we bring it back to the state level. I mean, we saw a major, I would think a big policy difference when it comes to trade at the federal level, going from a Trump administration now to a Biden administration, Democrats kind of running both chambers of Congress right now. From your perspective, have you seen a lot of difference or are we about to see some difference when it comes to trade policy that may or may not affect livestock and grain farmers here in the state of Kansas? Yeah, Andy, that's a terrific question. And, you know, I've uh, been been in communication with Greg Dowd. Uh, he, under the Trump administration, he was the ag ambassador over at the United States Trade Representative, USTR. Uh, hails from uh, Smith County, K-State grad. Actually, I had the privilege to, to work with him when I was back in D.C. in a previous life. So Greg's just a great Kansan and, and understands agriculture uh, very, very well. Not only Kansas agriculture, but just agriculture all across the United States. So as he uh, kind of often reminded folks when he was back home, and, and you know, he's been with Senator Marshall now for a couple of weeks, and, and I you know, had the opportunity to chat with him then, USTR and under the Trump administration, they basically reworked over 50% of all the trade agreements that, uh, from a value and a you know product, an actual widget or a bushel of grain, with over 50% of the trade that we do internationally. And obviously, a lot of that does come with uh, Canada and Mexico, so uh, i.e. USMCA. But then, uh, and it kind of alternates every year annually, depending on whether the third or the fourth is China or Japan. We've actually got beef back into into Japan for the first time since, you know, roughly 2003 with the case of Mad Cow. Uh, obviously, the phase one agreement that, that's been in place now with China, uh, while they haven't really beached, reached the threshold or, or the minimums that they shook hands and agreed to, uh, it's certainly a lot better than what it was in the 2017, 2018, even 2019 era of trade. So a lot of really, really big wins under the Trump administration. Uh, as you said, we're, we're still, you know, in the first 100 days, we're still getting various members of President Biden's uh, cabinet confirmed and sworn in and kind of figuring out, you know, who the players are, et cetera. So we are wa- uh, watching with bated breath and, and a lot of anticipation to see if, if this new administration does continue on, at least with China phase one. Um, if you've read the, read the media, well, yeah, we know China's a bad actor, but we haven't really liked how the Trump administration handled it. Okay, well, what does that mean? And, and you know, how are you going to put boots on the ground or pen to paper and, and possibly change, you know, how it's been done the last four years? So certainly uh, some trepidation, some concern out there, but I think we also have a lot of key wins and, and victories as we talk about, at least on the agriculture space when it comes to trade 
over the last four, five, six months now. Yeah, it was at least good news that we saw over the last couple of years with some of the, uh, I mean, some of the trade deals that, that President Trump did put into place. Now, is China holding up to their deal? I mean, we see the news about them buying more soybeans as uh, from what they were before, but they weren't quite buying up to what they had contractually said that they were going to. And with the tariff fight that Trump had with China and with some of the other countries, I mean, are they at least holding up to the obligation? And do you think that's going to continue? We, we do think it's going to uh, continue, and even going back to, you know, Greg Dowd, he, uh, he, he says, you know, a lot of times China is uh, slow to walk, but when they actually do agree to something, they're, they're, they're very committed to seeing it through. So, you know, specifically when it talks about what the, the minimum levels or the purchasing agreements in phase one were, uh, we didn't reach those, but we came relatively close, so to speak, and, you know, this is where the nuances in, in – Trade agreements and even legislative text and regulatory, you know, uh, text to really mean something. So the the agreement was based off 2017 trade numbers, and um, as we've seen, prices change from 2017 to ultimately 2020. Uh, it's different. It's just a different economic and and you know the 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 price of wheat or the you know pound of of protein on livestock, pork and and uh, beef. It's different than it was in 2017, but without question. Um, from a total value and a, and a total overall, 2020 was a tremendous year for agricultural exports. And, and a lot of that, you know, if we talk about China, we've got to talk about African swine fever. And that just absolutely decimated their swine industry over there. So they're not only rebuilding no. their swine industry uh, domestically, but in order to do that, they also have to import a tremendous amount of corn, uh, corn meal and soy meal and, and just other products. Kansas grain sorghum, actually Kansas is the largest grain sorghum producer in the country. Uh, that's a GMO-free product. So uh, there's an alcohol that, that's made over there that the, the Chinese love to, to enjoy, I guess, over evening meals. They've been <laughs> export or importing a tremendous amount of grain sorghum to fulfill their, their need on the, you know, the alcohol side, uh, specifically with grain sorghum. So that's been a, a great win as well. I think one thing we're still kind of holding out to, to see where the industry ultimately goes and where exports go are biofuels, whether we're talking about biodiesel or ethanol. That is one uh, area that the Chinese did agree to, to start importing some more uh, U.S.-based you know, biodiesel and, and ethanol products, and they haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, you could argue whether that was COVID-related. You could argue whether or not, you know, shipping container, okay, it's easy to, to bring widgets, computers, you know, technology, TVs, et cetera, over here and ship those containers back with bulk commodities. It's a little bit different when you're talking about actually shipping over, you know, a liquid-based product. You, you can't really put that in a container box as easily as you could uh, a bushel of, of wheat or corn. Yeah, well, that's very true. Last question before we move on from trade. But uh, one thing under President Donald Trump that I think a lot of people liked was kind of the diversification with some of the trade wars that we had on certain countries. Many companies uh, with their own products kind of diversified on who they were trading with. Did the state of Kansas kind of diversify, especially when it came to like livestock across the world on did we start trading with other places around the world, other countries that may like our beef or our pork or our or, or something of that that we didn't usually trade with before, but now we've kind of opened up some new opportunities. Yeah, great question. And and again, it's complex. Uh, if we're talking about, you know, from a Kansas agricultural trade uh, relationship, our biggest two trading nations are Canada and Mexico. Well, why is that? Uh, really nothing other than geography and location. It's a heck of a lot cheaper to, you know, use a great uh, Kansas City company, KC Southern, put it on a rail and ship it south to, to Mexico. Um, so whether we're talking corn or whether we're talking dairy products, 
wheat. You know, there's been a number of really good trading years that we've had with our partners to the north up in Canada and our partners to the, the south down in Mexico. But yes, when you start getting in to those next two, as I mentioned earlier, uh, because of the Mad Cow, the BSE case that, that popped in Washington State back in 2003, the J- uh, Japanese basically said, we don't want any U.S. beef. Well, it, it's a really high-quality product, so what ended up happening, there was a 2003 to current, there was a tremendous amount of U.S. beef that actually went to either South Korea or Vietnam and then kind of backdoored into uh, both China and Japan. But uh, thanks to the great work of the Trump administration, we actually were able to reopen some of the beef trade with Japan. So now we are you know, exporting that direct over there. Similar on the, the Chinese front, uh, beef is you know, a product they enjoy, but, but really when it comes to the protein side, they really, really enjoy swine. So the, the hog industry has really benefited uh, from some, some increased trade, uh, both with China and, and Japan. Well, good. Let's hope some of the trade deals continue on in the future to make sure that uh, we keep some of these markets open for these farmers here in the area. We're talking with Ryan Flickner, Senior Director with the Kansas Farm Bureau. Let's talk about the weather. Last week, we had a crazy deep freeze, negative 25 degrees, which I guess broke some type of records here in Kansas. I know there's, I don't think, a whole lot of uh, crops out in the field right now, but did that potentially do anything to farmers in the area? Maybe some of the winter wheat or something? I mean, how did that affect farmers around here? Yeah, it's, um, I'm glad you asked the question. I appreciate you doing that. And I was getting calls from you know TV and radio and even print media right in the peak of it. Well, what are you hearing? And what are farmers and ranchers dealing with right now? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I hate to break it to you, but they're doing what they need to do to keep their newborn calf alive. So yeah. if that means the calf was born, they're bringing it into the shop. I've seen pictures and, and heard members that had to bring it into the bathtub, you know, not only to warm it up there, but then they were pulling out the, the hair dryer to, to help keep it alive as well. So wow. especially for the livestock industry in Kansas, the, those two weeks of, of you know historic abnormal whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think from the National Weather Service, uh, it was at least the lowest it had ever reached going back to 1989, and it was the longest duration of kind of a cold snap going back to 1983. So um, whether it was a new watering system that, you know, had been installed since then, there were just some issues and and some, you know, weather-related things that cropped up that, well, that, that water never froze up. Well, why has it never froze up? Well, it was installed in 1995. Oh, okay. <laughs> so when we're talking, you know, cold weather of 1983 and 1989, that makes sense. Yeah. I would say, you know, Andy, on the, the production or the row crop side of things, there's a, a lot of wheat that's out there. And some of the wheat got planted late. It was dry in that September and October time frame. So obviously following some of the K-State researching research and extension publications and the agronomy newsletters that they're pushing out, when you do start getting down to negative 20, um, and really, you know, I'd, I'd call it somewhere between 12 degrees and 15 degrees, when it gets below that for uh, a certain duration, whether that's 24, 48, 72 hours, there is a, a concern about that, that wheat basically dying and, and freezing out. Uh, we'll have to wait and see with some warmer temperatures. You know, the last couple of days has been in the 60s and I think even got up to 70s in some parts of, of Kansas <laughs> up till yesterday. We'll really have to probably wait another week or two when the wheat really does start greening up as, as we get into the month of March. And producers are gonna, then going to have to make the decision, do I go out and fertilize a wheat crop that may not make it? Or if it does look like it's going to green up and, and be healthy and remain viable uh, and, and hopefully you know, get on to harvest here in June and July, 
later this year, then those producers will go out and, and make the decision economically and agronomically to, to go ahead and put some fertilizer on it so they can hopefully you know raise the, the bushels that they are hoping for. Good golly. The gamble these farmers have to make day in and day out with both the livestock and the in the, the fields is just absolutely ridiculous. I'm so glad that I don't have to make those decisions and I feel bad for those guys all the time just because of that spell, because it was such an odd weather cycle that came through here i mean does that worry some for many farmers throughout the rest of the year with maybe a harsh spring with the back and forth with when to plant something or when to harvest something is that going to lead to a potentially maybe a warmer than normal summer i mean what are you guys anticipating this year yeah it's the law of averages and, and andy what what makes a an average year you can be in a drought for 9 10 11 months of the year and then you can get you know a historic rainfall event uh, for a one or two day or one week period and then all of a sudden, the history books say, oh, well, that year was average. Well, if you actually lived through all 12 months of that year in that location, uh, I bet they would argue with you that it was anything but. Um, so I certainly think when it comes to the, the temperatures and whether or not we want to call it climate change and we've got the climate criers and we've got the climate deniers, I think without question, you know, agriculture, they, they understand that it's an ebb and flow and there's going to be periods of intense heat, there's going to be periods of intense cold, there's going to be droughts, there's going to be floods. Uh, we, we just hope, you know, from a biblical sense that they don't send the locusts anytime soon. <laughs> Um, but that's ultimately, you know, what, what agriculture is. And, and I think it's the internal optimist in those farmers and ranchers. They're not going to breed that cow. They're not going to breed or they're not going to plant the seed if, if they don't think, you know, nine months from now they'll have a, a baby calf or nine months from now or probably six months from now they'll be able to harvest, you know, a, a bountiful crop. So I, I do think farmers and ranchers, I know they are, uh, are eternal optimists. And I think this was just, you know, something that, that kind of woke them back up and said, well, yep, we remember the drought and, and the intense heat of back in 2011 and 2012. We remember, you know, kind of the record-breaking floods of, of 2019. So, yep, here in 2021, it was just a, a two-week, absolutely brutal cold spell, and, and we'll live through that and be able to see, you know, brighter days ahead. That would be really nice. That would be nice. Let's talk about some of the different types of crops that we have in here. I've noticed over the last couple of years a massive increase in, in cotton. I didn't know that we even grew cotton in here in Kansas really until about the last year when I saw more cotton fields pop up all over the place. Is that something new that's really started to grow and become popular here in the state? Yeah, here we go with climate change again. You know, the days are getting warmer, so some of those southern crops are starting to creep a little bit north. No, I think, Andy, uh, cotton is, is one of those things. The economics mean something. So when we were getting into some really low price points, certainly for wheat and corn and to a certain degree soybeans, producers out there were looking for alternatives. So whether that's cotton, whether that's canola, we uh, probably not as much as we had 20 years ago, but whether it's confectionery or uh, oil-based uh, Sunflowers, that, that's been a commodity that's been pretty pre prevalent in Kansas over the last couple of decades. And I think even more recently, we're seeing some of, I don't want to call it an alternative crop, but it's some of the, the various things, whether it's triticale, which is used as a, a livestock feed, whether it's industrial hemp, which you know, a lot of folks did try back in, in 2019, and I think some weather-related and also you know, some, some demand-type uh, issues on the back end, whether it was CBD or fiber or seed, that probably didn't really work out to fruition for a lot of those folks. But I, I know the industrial hemp, I know the cotton, and, and just a number of other commodities, they're, they're looking 
to figure out how they can pencil out and how they can, you know, squeak out the, the most narrowest of margins possible in order to, you know, live another day and, and be able to farm for the next two, five, ten years. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that agricultural hemp because I wanted to go there as well. I know some people wanted to try it. Kansas State University was kind of testing it out and doing some trial runs. Some farmers were able to purchase the licensing to do the agricultural hemp. But how did that turn out? Do you think it's going to be a popular thing? You know, I, I if I if you gave me five seconds or fifty seconds here, I'd probably be able to pull up the report. Uh, Twenty nineteen was was really the first year that uh, through USDA and through the Kansas Department of Agriculture, who had to get the permit in order to you know create the program here in Kansas. Twenty nineteen was really the first year of mass production, I would say, of, of industrial hemp. And again, that was just such a wet year. Yeah, I, I know there was a huge learning curve. Uh, Hemp is one of those interesting, you know, commodities. There's actually a male hemp plant and a female hemp plant, um, so you have to go out and, and basically harvest, yeah, one of those, so that the other, you know, the, the other sex of the plant, if you will, continues to produce oil if that's what you're growing for. Uh, depending on if you're trying to harvest for fiber or harvest for seed, you you harvest it at various points. And I think that was the biggest kind of issue that was learned is chicken and egg. Okay, we're growing industrial hemp, but do we actually have a processor? that can process it so that we can sell hemp rope or that we can sell hemp seeds so that they can put in, be put in granola bars or that we can you know, process and extract the oil so that it can go into CBD uh, and so on and so forth. So uh, there, there were additional permits and, and additional producers that tried again in 2020. I have not seen kind of the final report that uh, KDA is responsible for compiling out of that. But I, I do know acreage was down significantly in 2020 compared to, to 2019. So, again, I think it's supply and demand and, and what are the final products that, you know, Americans are, are actually wanting. Uh, we obviously get into some of the legal side, whether or not the FDA has, has uh, approved CBD uh, for cons- human or animal consumption. So there's a number of regulatory hurdles that we've got to kind of jump through to on on industrial hemp moving forward. Very interesting. Yeah, we'll see kind of where it goes throughout the state. We're talking with Ryan Flickner, Senior Director for Kansas Farm Bureau. Last question before we let you go. I know you're busy, but you guys started a couple of years ago your uh, private health option as we've been trying to see a push from uh, kind of one political side in the state about Medicaid expansion. Uh, some private options have been talked about throughout the state, and you guys started one of those with your Kansas Farm Bureau private option for health insurance, not necessarily an insurance, but just kind of another option for people. How's that going so far? Because it officially launched last year, correct? Yes. Yeah. Don't 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 use that I word. Uh, we're, we're, we're fundamentally not insurance. But yes. no, in the 2019 legislative session, had great support in, in both legislative bodies over in Topeka and the Kansas House and Kansas Senate. We're able to pass a piece of legislation, a bill, uh, that actually establishes the, the creation of the Kansas Farm Bureau Rural Health Association, uh, which then creates the Kansas Farm Bureau Health Plan. And for the, the policy wonks out there, that's in Kansas statute KSA 40-2222A10. And uh, we were hearing loud and clear from our members, whether I traveled to Wallace County or Wyandotte County, Cheyenne County or to Cherokee County, a couple issues that, that were just front and center all across Kansas. Broadband and affordable health care. Broadband, affordable health care. So we, uh, we probably under a two or almost a three-year process started doing a bunch of research. You know, what can we do? Uh, could we create an association plan? Could we, you know, do a, a Christian, you know, ministry sharing type program? And ultimately found a great partner uh, in Tennessee Farm Bureau. They've been doing what we 
created or got the authority to create back in 2019, Tennessee Farm Bureau has been doing it in the state of Tennessee for over 70 years. Wow. Um, so we use them as kind of the model and uh, got a lot of technical expertise out of the Tennessee Farm Bureau. But uh, ultimately, I think your question, yes, the, the legislature approved the authority for us to create it. We stood up the program after the the 2019 legislative session, and then started offering coverage starting January 1 of 2020. So now we are starting the second year of coverage. And I think, you know, Andy, you and I talked about this, I think, before we even started recording here a little bit. What do you do with the, the, the farm family? They really want it to be a family farm, so husband and wife working there on the farm. Yep. Uh, but they also know they need to have some type of health coverage. So typically the spouse, the female, you know, wife, she goes into town to work at the school district or the library or the bank, not necessarily for uh, income or cash flow type purposes, but solely so they can get on you know an employee based healthcare plan. Right. Uh, so we feel like by offering this plan, it allows you know the husband and wife to come back on the farm. Also heard from other folks, you know they they make too much money farming and ranching, so they don't qualify for any of the subsidies on the ACA or Obamacare. Um, so all of a sudden they're having to pay thirty or forty thousand dollars for an ACA plan that you know they may not even get twenty percent of that back <laughs> if you know if it's a healthy year and a good year for them. So we've uh, we've had you know all kinds of different stories of, of folks that yep hey my spouse was able to rejoin me hey you know you you helped me save over thirty thousand dollars just uh, just by offering this program so. Love to hear those stories. That is really, you know, the intent. Um, I, I believe we were truthful with the legislature and, and anybody that was interested. This plan is not for everybody. So if there is a pre-existing condition or if there's some other underlying health concern, you do have to go through and, and you know, basically apply and, and provide some health questionnaires and, and provide some information on your personal health history. And then we'll actually quote you uh, what, what we, you know, think you'll you'll be throughout the year when you're on the plan. But just as important, let's say you're healthy, 35, 45, 55 on our plan, and two years later you, you know, you're, you're diagnosed with cancer or you get you know, hurt in a, a car accident or there's a farming mishap, we will never kick you off our plan once you're accepted. Now, There it is, Kansas Farm Bureau, Ryan Flickner. We appreciate that. We had to cut that off just a little bit because we ran out of time. It was a lot of great information. We appreciate him very much. We'll get him back on the program again here real soon. That does it for us today. Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker KQEM. Joe Peggs with The Weekend coming up here in just a minute on the Big Talker KQEM. Everybody have a wonderful weekend.